morning. And I want to live my life as though I really believe Jesus is coming soon. I want to live my life as though I really believe Jesus is coming soon. Let's let that soak in for a moment. So right now, let's just take some time, we're seated, and just prepare your heart to hear from the Word of God. Trusting the Lord to speak today. Verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So our text today is really about one thing. The end is near. Jesus is coming, and to that we're given three marching orders, and those marching orders are number one, get serious, number two, be watchful, and number three, fervently love one another. Now I realize as we get deeper into the text today, because there's a few more verses we're going to look at, that there's a couple of other points there, but I believe that those two points are, are kind of sub-points under point number three, that we are to fervently love one another. Also, today's teaching needs to be in context with where we were last week when we talked about God's will for your life. We know Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Has Jesus found you? And if Jesus has found you, then I have a hunch that the single greatest factor in your life is your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And if that's true, in fact, if it isn't, I would challenge you to reconsider your faith before God. Because to know Him is to realize what it's all about. To know Him is everything. And our, our faith in Christ isn't one little compartment of our lives you know, that we have our jobs, we have our kids, we have our responsibilities. It is the overriding factor in our lives. And so if, if that's where you are, then what's the greatest thing you could do for somebody else? The greatest thing you could do for somebody else is to introduce them to Jesus. Because by doing so, you will be impacting their eternal destiny in a very real way. We are in a battle for the souls of men. Today we're going to look at some of the rules involved in, in the fight. That's really what today's text is all about. So here's the deal. The end of things is, is at hand. The end of all things is near. What do you do when you know that time is short? Okay, so you know that uh, I just got back from a, 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 a big trip overseas. I, I, I'm believing that Several of us are going to be going to Africa here in January and uh, encouraging Vic Rader, who has an orphanage over there. But when I'm planning for, for a, a big trip, I, I realize it would be wise for me to, to start packing early. And that would help me to make sure I'm covering the details of what might be needed, think about what others might need who are going with me and stuff. But unfortunately, time gets away. My packing gets kind of pushed to, to last moment. And at that point, there are two principles that kick in, and those principles are urgency and simplicity. 
right? Time is short. So in the words of Larry the Cable Guy, get her done. And where it ends up. We joke at our house that one of the benefits of knowing that we have company coming, people who will be staying with us, is, is that it's an excuse to get our house clean. <laughs> now we may have huge lists of all the things we want to do to get our house where it's supposed to be, but you know, rarely get there and, and knowing that there's going to be folks sharing our space with us soon, folks forces those two principles to take effect. Urgency and simplicity. So what do we do? We hang a note on their bedroom door that reads, this house was clean yesterday, sorry you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember visiting some friends one time and just being impressed with the perfect order of their house and kind of felt convicted, you know? How does anybody keep their house so clean? And then they gave us one order and they said, whatever you do, do not go in that door. <laughs> well, what was the problem with that door? Well, it was there that when in the spirit of simplicity and urgency, they threw everything that had cluttered their home prior to our coming. <laughs> That's right. So scripture treats the end of time the same way over and over again. We're reminded time is near. The moments count. And in light of that, there are some urgent and simple things that we need to be doing. Get her done. That's what this is about. And you know, the early church lived with this kind of expectation. In fact, it's, it's a healthy way to, to live your life, to, to, to just to believe that, that Jesus could come at any moment. Great way to live. It's been the center of, of the major revivals that have taken place throughout church history. And we hear that, and we look at it and say, well, come on, it's 2,000 years later, and still... Jesus hasn't come. Was Peter wrong in saying that the time is at hand? Was he wrong? Interesting, because people have been wrong throughout history. Little known fact, Christopher Columbus, believing that God had led him in his most known of, of journeys, wrote a little piece called the Book of Prophecies, in which he predicted that the world must end, must end in 155 years, 16 56. Kind of sounds like the movie Back to the Future predicting that the Chicago Cubs would win the World Series in 2015. Right? Columbus is wrong. A man named William Miller I find very interesting. He convinced his followers that Jesus must come in the year 1842. When it didn't happen, he pushed back to a later date. Didn't happen. But his followers, known as Millerites, they refused to give up. And at a camp meeting on August 12, 1844, someone had a divine revelation in which they said Christ would come on the seventh month of the current of that current Jewish year, which meant there were only ten weeks to get ready for Jesus coming because he would come precisely on October 22, 1844. Two hundred followers left crops in the field, left businesses, left jobs, left homes. One storefront window read this way, this shop is closed in honor of the King of Kings who will appear on the 22nd of October. Get ready, friends, to crown him Lord of all. They waited. Jesus didn't come. Five years later, Miller went to see Jesus. 
Jesus didn't come to him, but he went to see Jesus. Miller was wrong. And I understand his tombstone reads this way. At the time appointed, the end shall be. That sounds pretty accurate to me, right? <laughs> Yet there continue to be those who try to give us days and days as to exactly when Jesus will come. Yeah? Was Peter wrong when he said the end of time is at hand? What exactly does it mean? Clearly, talking about the second coming of, of Jesus Christ, talking about a new order that would be established when Jesus will be crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords, President of Presidents. I kind of like the idea of no more campaigning for office, right? No more spending taxpayer dollars to convince us of all the things that aren't true in politics. But what Peter's doing is he has a picture of Jesus sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, sitting in his rightful place on the throne, and he's just waiting for one order from the Father, and that order is go. <laughs> and we got to get the idea that when the Bible says the end is near, or that it's at hand, or that it's coming quickly, what it's saying is that it will come with suddenness and at a time when we least expect it, like a thief in the night. And that's the attitude we should have as we spend our time here on planet Earth. Peter wasn't wrong. And the message is just as urgent today as it was 2,000 years ago. Yes, the end of things as we know it, it's at the starting gate and it's waiting for that start gun to go off. And here it comes. Don't anybody get excited about that? Yeah. yeah. You better believe it. So in Scripture... Christ is pictured as a coming groom. His people, the church, are pictured, or is pictured as a virgin bride that's in waiting. And when the kingdom of heaven comes, it will be like these ten virgins who, who took their lamp and they went out, lamps, they took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they only took the oil that was in their lamps. Whereas the wise ones, they took their lamps with the oil in their lamps, and then they took jars, and they brought extra oil along with them. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They grew tired. They all fell asleep. Went at midnight. And we need to hear it. At midnight. That means at, at the center of darkness. And as we see the world getting darker, we shouldn't be surprised. And we, it should point us to the fact. See, it's all playing out. Jesus really is coming. So at midnight, the cry went out. Here's the bridegroom. Come and meet him. Then the virgins woke up. They, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy their oil, these foolish virgins, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. Awesome. But then the door was shut. Closed. Closed. Later the others came. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he, he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. And then Jesus gives us this application. He says, therefore keep watch, 
because you do not know the day or the hour. See, I'm afraid that too many people want just enough oil in their lives, you know, to secure a place in the kingdom. Just enough faith to secure a place in the kingdom. But can I tell you this? God's top priority isn't simply to get you into heaven. God's top priority isn't for you to come rushing in at the last moment in deep panting and say, Saint, made it in. That's not what he's all about. God's top priority is for you to really know him and to really be known, to known by him. And that's the key having extra oil, to being prepared. And the deal is each of us must have our own relationship with him. We can't have a relationship for each other. Those virgins who refused to share their oil, you can look at that and you can say, how selfish, why didn't they share it? The reality was that was something that couldn't be shared. Yeah, yeah, we share our faith today, right, with people, freely, openly, hopefully, you know, letting them know the source of the oil, but at the moment of Jesus' coming, it's too late. Each of us must come with our own supply. How's your supply? Do you really know him? Do you really love him? Does he really know you? And how does he change the way that you do life? Okay, so this brings us to our three marching orders today. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand, Therefore, be serious in your prayers. Be serious. What is that about? Is it about stoicism? Stoicism, you know, that philosophy attributed to Zeno and Zishian dating back to 300 BC. It's the idea that a wise man should be free from all passion, unmoved by joy or grief, grief and submissive to the natural laws. Well, can I give you my intellectual, my best intellectual response to that? Boring. Boring, right? That's not what this is about. The last thing Michael Descoli needs to hear is that he needs to get more serious. No way. If Michael Descoli needs to hear anything, he needs to hear, hey, lighten up and enjoy the ride a little bit. And how can I be unmoved when the Bible says it's the joy of the Lord that is my strength? How can I be unmoved when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. How can I be unmoved when I'm told in the scripture that I'm to rejoice with you when you're rejoicing and to weep with you when you're weeping? This is not about stoicism. This is about simply and urgently urgently being in control and submissive to the things you already know about God. It's about living a life of discipline, keeping a, a clear head. It's a warning against wild thinking of chasing after all the latest and greatest that's going on because those things can start you leaving on the path and eventually they can knock you off the road. And I, I so appreciate this because we get caught up in this frenzied behavior in pursuit of stuff. And, and, and sometimes it becomes even a passive behavior where we just want to check out and bed and tune out the world around us. And so that, he says, be sober, sober. Don't be chasing after the latest and greatest. Don't, don't check out. Your time is short. Make it count. That's what's going on here. Stay sober for the priority of God's word. Be about it.
Back to verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayer. Watchful in prayer. To be sleeplessly vigilant in your approach to life. Okay? It's not about losing sleep, but it's about being ready, ready, acutely paying attention to where God is moving and being attuned to those things that are operating contrary to God, even pretending to have an image of God, but only using it to the degree that it can catch you off guard and deceive you. I was standing on my deck one day when I heard something fall from the sky. And then I heard this ruckus uh, on the ground, and by the time I got around to seeing what was going on there, here was a hawk with a, a rabbit in its claws flying away. Yeah, it was awesome. Because high above the ground, here was this hawk soaring with a vigilant eye, paying attention for any timely movement. And then when he saw it, he swished down, and he took exactly what it was that he needed. That poor bunny. <laughs> the bunny didn't have the word of God. Right? Never read the word of the time he had there. Therefore, be sober and watchful. Never saw that. The only way that bunny could have stayed safe would be to be on guard constantly, continually, right? That's our approach to life. Be ready. Simply and urgently wake up and be ready. Jesus is knocking at the door. If you will simply hear his voice and open the door, he promises to come in and establish a relationship with you. So this call to prayer, serious prayer, urgent prayer, it isn't about locking yourself up in a, a monastery, but it's about vigilant expectation. Yeah. Third one, verse 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Fervent in love. So I brought this image that I need you to see. I think we have it there. Anybody know what that is? At all? Sunday school buttons? A tennis certificate? Awards, right? Actually, what it is, it's a perfect attendance award. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I first started going to a church that was preaching the word, they actually had a celebration each year where they would give out these things. Okay, so the first year you hit the top button, and then each year that you have perfect attendance, you get one of those little bars that go across. And here I was as a young, you know, seeker, believer, seeing this thing going on, and being convinced, wow, those people with the really long chain, those must be the really spiritual people. And, and I kind of get images of my brain, in my brain, you know, 25 years from now, I could have a chain of perfect attendance of the Lord that stretched the entire length of my shirt. Maybe then I will be listed among the super spiritual. <laughs> yeah. But guess what? The badge of the believer isn't a perfect attendance award. The badge of the believer is right here, love for God's people. Jesus said, by this badge, all men will know you are my disciples 
if you love one another. See, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit truly working in your life. If you have, have not love, you have not anything. If you go back to the parable of the ten virgins, your lamp is your claimed love for Jesus Christ. The extra oil is the Holy Spirit that's empowering you to live out the attributes of the God that you claim to serve. That's what's going on here. This isn't about fear of losing your salvation, but the only way you'll ever prove your love for God who you can't see is by your love for one another whom you can see. Let's see your love for God in practical ways. It's that simple and it's that urgent. Get her done. You want to make sure you have the oil that you need that will carry you until the day Jesus comes. You want to make sure not going to be found in perfect attendance to work. It's going to be found in being serious and watchful and loving one another. Fervent. The word fervent is a great word because it's kind of like straining forward. You get the picture of a, of, a, of a runner in a foot race coming to the final lap and stretching toward the goal, stretching toward the prize and saying, love like you're in the final leg of the, the race. And, and then you got to love it. It says love covers a multitude of sin. Is anybody in this room perfect? Is anybody in this room less than perfect? Yes, yes me too, right? Does anybody here need to be loved despite yourself? <laughs> Can anybody give thanks for people who love you despite yourself? Can anybody give thanks to a God who loves you despite yourself? So let's get serious about this. Accept one another. Realize it. There are no perfect people on the planet. Love each other with that in mind. Love each other realizing that love makes all your imperfections a whole lot less obvious. Love that. And then he gives us a couple of practice steps. Verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. That doesn't mean just toward the people you like, right? It says one another. It means it's all-encompassing. It means be willing to host without limits and enjoy it. So it's saying, verse 10, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then there are many gifts, but notice he gives us two right here. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if you're a believer, you've been given at least one gift that can be used for the building up of the body. And the, the challenge here is to show your love for God's people by using the gift that you receive in the church. That's what's going on. The Greek word here is uh, charisma, which is about grace. Charis is about grace. So he's being redundant here. If you're saying be a good steward of the multifaceted grace God has shown you by using whatever grace gift God has given you to minister in the body. And this isn't the only place. You can find it many, many places. Check it out. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12 is in place. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how the body of Christ will never be mature and complete until every member is doing his or her part. And so if you're not doing your part in the body, then be challenged with these questions. And I am not here to guilt, okay? I'm here believing that God wants to feed your soul and raise you up to be everything that, that he has for you to be. And if you're doing what you do in bondage because you have to, then maybe let somebody go because it needs to be out of the heart of the overflow of the greater work God is doing in your life. But consider this. If, any, if everyone in the church serve the way that you serve in the body, what would we have left? Huh. You know, forget the children's outreach program that we're doing. Forget the lunches. Forget serving chili. Forget the music. Forget greeters. Forget the fact that we're friendly at all. Forget the fact that we have an amazing missions program. Forget the fact that we have people who deliver meals to those who are in difficult situations. Just put it all away, because that's what it will be. We can just go on and on with that list. But then consider this question. Imagine what the body of Christ would be if every member was using their gift and functioning properly in the body. It's all part of fervently loving, and we see that here. And then Peter ends the section by saying, it's all about the glory and dominion of Jesus Christ. One way that you can use your gifts and, and, and that we can all use our gifts is by being involved with life groups. Because what life groups do is they allow everyone to serve. Yeah, because we don't all serve in a greater body like this even though there are many, many opportunities. So thank God for, for life groups. So once more, verses 7 and 8. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. The end of all things is near. I don't know, that might trigger thoughts and images in your mind of, of zealots marching in the streets carrying signs that say, Repent! The end is near. Right? It may cause you to say, oh, we better install a backup generator or build a bomb shelter and fill it with plenty of food and water. A lot of good that's going to do in Jesus' times, right? Mm -hmm. But what Peter's doing right here, he's showing us how we can prepare ourselves to make a difference in difficult times when people will be searching for answers. And you better be sure that's, that's the facts. Be sober, be ready, keep your eyes on Jesus and his coming kingdom, be firm in love for God's people by being hospitable and using whatever gift God has given you for his glory. So, what are they? Be serious, right? Be ready and fervently love. You have them? You understand what they mean? And so where are we today? Let's just stop. Next week, we want to talk about being unscathed by the fires. We're going to talk about God's faithfulness and how you can rest in that. But right now, between you and God. 
We have a lamp. We have faith in Jesus Christ. And what's your extra oil? Are you carrying Christ a long time in front? He really is coming. Just be honest with, with God right now. Practice spiritual breathing. Confess. Exhale. Agree with him about what he already knows. Lord, I need a lamp. Lord, I need extra oil. Help me to begin moving on what I already know. Yeah, because I want to be ready. Maybe today you're saying, oh, I receive Christ. Christ be my lamp. The lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. I need you to be my direction, Lord. Inhale. Receive. Receive the fullness of Christ. Appropriate the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lord, come into my life. Fill me. Make me the person you want me to be. I want to live my life the way you intended me to live. For your glory. But I can't do it without you. I need you working according to your promise. And fashion me in your image. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the hope of your appearing. Hallelujah.